Don't meet your future spouse in the club or on Tinder. <laughs> okay, well actually there's some wisdom there. <laughs> Welcome to the Edify Podcast, where our guests share practical wisdom on living our faith in public. I'm Mary Fiorito. Thank you for joining us today. On today's episode of the Edify Podcast, I'm pleased to be joined by Paul J. Kim, who is an international Catholic speaker and a musician and a comedian and a father of five. Paul, welcome. It's such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you. And I drive a minivan. And you drive a minivan. I forgot that's, well, that's your punchline. So I'm glad I saved it. I saved it for you. You have such a fascinating background. How did you get started being an international Catholic speaker when you, know, you have all these gifts in the arts and music and then yeah. comedy? I was an undisputed lightweight class clown of every grade in grade school. I was the third grade lead in my school play. I was a <laughs> scarecrow protecting a Cabbage Patch princess. So that's when I knew I had a gift. Gosh, I, you know, I feel a, a little bit like a Catholic Forrest Gump. Here's right. why I, I just, I've, I've had so many different life experiences. You know, I have this massive conversion in college when I'm going to UCLA in Southern California. Were you raised Catholic? I was raised okay. Catholic, yeah. God bless my parents, they, they came from South Korea. They were uh, evangelized by the Columban Missionary Fathers. Oh, so beautiful. Yeah. I am spiritually Irish. Mm -hmm, I was right. baptized by an Irish right. priest. I think that's how it works. Yes. Um, the truth is, when I encountered Christ in college, it, it totally shifted my entire worldview. Everything I knew up until that point. But tell me how that happened. Sure. I started praying the rosary. Um, and it was sort of just out, randomly like well, you, it was or, sort of out of Catholic guilt You okay. know, I was living a lifestyle that was obviously in contrary at odds with Catholic teaching okay. <laughs> to make it really PC and uh, So I started praying the rosary um, to maybe get some guilt off my chest I don't know. I figured I should maybe turn to God here and had that been a prayer You'd said as a child with no, your family. No, it was too long. You just okay. It right. was much too long yeah. and uh, <laughs> I started praying the rosary and I remember it happened on a few occasions I was praying outside of my dorm room and out of nowhere, I start smelling roses. Mm. So I look around, there's no roses. Right. There's not a girl with some rose perfume. And I said, what is this? And then I'm putting two and two together. I'm like, rosary, root word rose? She must like, ro she's here. Oh, wow. And I freaked out, Yeah. but in a good way too, because I'm like, huh, the mother of God is visiting me, a bozo Catholic. <laughs> and honestly, it was it was really wild because heaven was saying to me, our lady was saying to me, I am real. My son Jesus is real. Mm -hmm. This is all real. Continue on this path. Right. And so that led me to the sacraments. I went back to confession. I made a good one after never making a good one. Right. <laughs> I'd walk into confession and make sins up to make myself sound like a better sinner. Yeah. And um, But that's would be reflective of a, a lot of young people. They don't know, they want to go, but they don't know kind of how to do it and what they should say. Well, hopefully they're getting that instruction in CCD right. class. But the problem is it's always a matter of the heart, right? right? It's like, do they want to? Why are they doing it? And maybe, you know, the parents are making them go to church. I don't know. And right. God bless the parents. That's right. important. But at a certain point in every Catholic's life, it, it can't just be catechesis. It has to be a, mo a moment of conversion, mm -hmm. you know? Right. And so for me, that was kind of the moment in college where I went back to the sacrament of confession. And then I started hanging out with 81-year-olds at Mass every day. And honestly, encountering Christ in the Eucharist, once again, something I just, it's symbolic, it's a cookie, I, I don't know. But finally, I opened up my heart and I received the grace to believe, my Lord and my God, that's Jesus. So did you have, was there like a priest on your college campus or a spiritual director that helped kind of, you know, guide you to, to daily mass or you really just kind of stumbled upon I it? I really, I just felt motivated to go. Mm. 
Um, the priests were there, obviously, yeah, to right. provide counsel and encouragement. Right. But yeah, it was. I, I attribute it to Our Lady. <laughs> she was just, and that's her role, right? right? You know, there's a lot of Catholics and non-Catholics alike who are confused about Mary and what her role is. And ah, oh, you Catholics worship Mary, and you turn her into an idol, and you know, and it's just like, no, <laughs> we honor her, we love her, but what is her mission? John chapter two, verse five: Do whatever He tells you simple. And I got to experience that firsthand. So I'm in college, I'm having this radical conversion. I turned into a weirdo where it's like, I don't want to party. I just want to go to the feast of the lamb at mass. Like I was just straight up. So well, how, did your, how did your friends and your peer group react like, to the new Paul J. What is he smoking? Yeah, right. I'm like, I'm smoking the incense at mass. That's yeah, what I'm smoking. Right. Um, my, my parents are like, are you, do you want money? Why are you doing this? You know, <laughs> But for me, it was just so refreshing. Right. And um, uh, that led to then a serious consideration of discerning priesthood mm-hmm. in religious life. So I transferred from UCLA to Franciscan University of Steubenville. Okay. Had a great time of formation education there. And when I graduated, I joined for a season in my life. This was the whole Forrest Gump thing. Right. Uh, the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal in New York City. So I became a Franciscan brother. And that's a very radical step. I mean, it's not just priesthood, but it's radical poverty, right, and radical yeah, solidarity with the yeah. poor. And there was th- there was a real joy and something oh, that no, really... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, there was something that attracted me about their life and also the radical way they were following Christ. Because mm-hmm. let's face mm-hmm. it, right? Youth are idealists. Right. They want to follow an ideal. They don't want this washed down, watered down version of whatever it's they're being sold. And so for me, I was like, Dude, those guys look like Gandalf. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hairy, hairy beards, shaved heads, monk ropes. I'm like, I want to figure out what they're doing and why they're doing this right. because they are just such a contradiction. Yes. And so as I discern with them, um, yeah, it was a beautiful time in my life. I learned a lot of things. I learned how to pray. I learned how to live in community. I learned how to serve others. I learned mm-hmm. that life is actually very, very simple and profound. It's about loving God and loving neighbor. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, you feel full and free. Mm-hmm. Now, in the process of living that life, it's not just about wanting to you know, pray and serve the poor. You have to kind of discern and identify, is this the calling in my life? Mm-hmm. And so through the couple of years of discernment, I, I figured this wasn't for me. But I mean, let's face it, it was a win-win. And that's yeah. what I tell young adults all the time. I say, hey, if you're considering a vocation to priesthood, religious life, there's a lot of you know hesitation because it's like, ah, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know. What if I don't make it all the way through? I don't know. And so what I tell them is, look, take it from me. Either one, you'll find out this is your calling. And some of the happiest people I know in this world are celibate. <laughs> Very important point. Why? Because our world is just hyper-focused on sex. Right. As if this is like, this is what turns you from black and white into color, living in HD. No, no, no. Like, if that were the case, this world would be way happier. But let's face it, something's not working. Right, and there's kinds of love that can be expressed in a way that's not that kind of physical 100%. manifestation. 100%. Right. Well, sex in the context of marriage, great gift. Right. Life-giving, beautiful. But outside of that context, destructive, damaging, a letdown, a beautiful letdown, right? right? And so when you see these contradictions, and what I mean by that is you see these priests and these nuns who are joyful, and they're not partaking in everything that Netflix has to offer, mm-hmm. right? What is it saying to the world? They've discovered something that is radically different than what people are consuming every day. Right. And they're happy. They're mm-hmm. joyful. 
they're peaceful. And so to the person who's discerning, like take them as an example to say, could God be calling me to be a witness in this way? Right. Now, that's not to say that as a married person or as a single person, you can't be happy, peaceful, and joyful. No, because we know the answer is Christ. We know the answer is Christ through the church that he has left us, right? But um, I left that time of discernment. I figured this wasn't for me. And I prayed, Lord, please don't confine me to a cubicle. Because mm. <laughs> I knew that wasn't in my, I, I didn't want that to be in my right. cards. No, you know, if people obviously live that route or do that line of work, there's no shame in it. Just for me, I knew it wasn't the way. And so I said, Lord, if I could serve your church somehow and provide for a family, that would be pretty sweet. Mm. And so I went to get my master's degree in marriage and family therapy. I thought I'd maybe be a counselor, a therapist. Mm-hmm. I got my degree. I started doing counseling, but it turns out I had a problem. I didn't like listening to people's problems all day. Oh, I should have figured this out before I paid tens of thousands of dollars to... <laughs> yeah, yeah. But an education is never wasted. What would be your top three pieces of advice for Catholic married couples for happiness and peace in their marriages? Don't meet your future spouse in the club or on Tinder. <laughs> no, okay. Well, actually, there's some wisdom there. <laughs> um, so from all, you know that training you had and okay. the, your practice in it, what what was what were the three sort of things that you saw among happily married couples sort of consistently? Okay, so let's put it this way: um, falling in love is easy; staying in love is a masterclass. Okay, most people they are ill-equipped to know how to resolve conflict, and that is a great challenge of every marriage, mm-hmm. because two very different people try to join their lives together. And then they realize there is conflict. Why? Because they see things different. They do things different. Their backgrounds are different. Their wounds are different. The way that they were raised were different. And so trying to mesh that together is a very complicated task. Mm-hmm. And um, to that point of resolving conflict, most people don't know how. Either they fall into one extreme of I'm going to blow up at you or I'm going to be passive aggressive at you. And that's generally what people were shown and modeled as kids. Right. So where's the middle ground? Surely there's a better way. And so I was listening to a talk from a a very wise therapist. He said, let me show you a different way. It's called the soft startup. What does that mean? It means you don't go at their throats and go, you're a piece of work and look what you did. And you're just like your father. You know, it's like, no, that's you're starting World War Three. Right. The soft startup sounds and looks like this. There's a template. I felt fill in the blank. When you fill in the blank, and I would like you to fill in the blank. Okay, why is that helpful? Because one, you're, you're just expressing to your significant other, this is how I feel, right? So let me give you an example. I felt hurt when you didn't acknowledge the fact that I worked really hard on this meal. And in the future, it would be great if you could just take a minute to you know, show your appreciation. That would make me feel wonderful. Ah, see what happened there? Right. It, it toned and with it a very specific end, right? Exactly. So. Not just an insult, not just you know, your piece of work, not just, you or know. Or do better next time, but a very, sp- I would like a compliment. Or yeah. I would like a compliment in front of the children or something, right. but a specific yeah. goal or action rather yeah. than something generic. Is sure, that- and, not, and not patronizing, right? Is right. It, you start with, this is how I feel, which is, completely subjective, but it's real. Mm -hmm. I felt this way, right? Right. Because of what this action was, objective. 
not because you're a jerk. <laughs> and this is what I would like to ask you to do to help me feel better, right? Husbands and wives, man, they hear that. Okay, I can digest that. Mm -hmm. The other stuff, well, I'm gonna get my guard up. I'm gonna be defensive. I'm gonna criticize you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get angry. I'm gonna get frustrated, right? So there's a soft startup, which is really important. The second thing, Dr. John Gottman, one of the foremost experts on marriage in the world, he basically predicts with like over 90% accuracy, just based on one session, if couples are gonna stay married or not. Really? Based on something called the four deadly horsemen of, of marriage, okay? And these are the deadly horsemen of criticism, defensiveness, stonewalling, and contempt. Back to the family trauma thing, like, you know, based on our uh, upbringing, based on our personalities, we all kind of fall into these horsemen, and even if we're not married, and we have to identify which ones are present in our lives. Criticism, we all know what that looks like. You always do this, you always do that. You're incapable of doing anything else. Defensiveness, I never do that, no way. I'm not guilty of that. Not acknowledging what we're participating in. Stonewalling and contempt, very, very, most dangerous of all. You're such a piece of work, I have no respect for you, right? That's, that's the red flag. These are all red flags. And so when these four horsemen pay you a visit in the context of a conflict or an argument, that's when we have to say, mm. for example, say the conversation, the conflict is happening, and say one of the spouse's uh, criticism creeps in, right? You always do this, honey, I, I sense that, you know, you're, you're saying things that are very critical. Could you please find another way to communicate that? Or honey, I noticed you are blocking me out. Mm -hmm. Could you please find another way to communicate what you want to say? Or why you're angry or why you're resentful. Well, you know, I, I, so much of your work, Paul, is um, concentrated on college students and younger people and mm -hmm. um, preparing students for confirmation um, or preparing the preparers of students for confirmation. And you're not speaking at a conference with mostly practicing Catholics or faithful young people, but people who don't really know the Lord. So a place that you were in previously, um, pre-conversion, Paul, what would you say now? What would your words of direction or wisdom be to that group now? I try to spread a really broad net and challenge people and inspire them regardless of where they're at. But I think to the point of the students who have kind of like clamped on to the common narratives of universities with um, just a lot of these radical teachings that are obviously <laughs> at odds with our faith. I would say my, my primary mission would be to evangelize them primarily so that they encounter Christ. Why is this important? Because I can't just shove my thoughts or my ideals or worldview or in, in their perception, my ideology on them, right? I need to first invite them to encounter the person of Christ. So in that encounter, then we have a foundation to introduce the other things, the truth. When Christ encountered his disciples, they encountered his goodness. They were convinced that he was good and loving and merciful and meeting them where they were at. But he didn't stay there, right? There's a saying that God loves us so much, he'll meet us where we're at, but he loves us too much to leave us where we're at. And I think that's where sometimes ministry in the church goes amok because they forget to go to the second part. People don't want that. People want the truth. They're hungry for the truth. And they'll shove all sorts of half-truths and lies into their heart to satisfy that need. It won't satisfy them, 
but we're all hungry for the truth. Why? Because we've been hardwired to receive the truth. And the truth in this case isn't just a list of ideas, it's a person, and his name is Jesus. So first and foremost, set up that encounter. Do my best to evangelize. Having accepted or received his love, then we can start feeding them with soft foods, right? Soft foods about faith and morals. And then we can get to the heavy stuff. But I think it has to be in that order. Otherwise, it's just going to be another argument online. There was one uh, quote from Pope Benedict saying, uh, the world wants to give you comfort, but you were not made for comfort. You were made for greatness. Mm. It's that kind of personal one-on-one with uh, love of Jesus that I'm, I'm really praying for young people in the church that that this will be him, that'll give his patron, he'll be the patron saint of that, right? Bringing young people into that personal relationship with Christ. Yeah, and that's so important. We need to pray for our leaders. We need to pray for our leaders in the church. We need to pray for renewal in the church. Here's why. Because I think my fear is that the church's response to a lot of these issues that we're seeing in the culture isn't to say, yes, we hear you, but here's the life-giving truth of Christ, which is challenging. Mm-hmm but will free your hearts. Instead, I see this, we hear you and let's walk with you and let's accommodate more and more. It's a trap. It is. It's not good. It's a trap. And the further they get into the trap, the deeper it gets and the harder it gets Mm -hmm. to crawl back out. And then, you know, know, the human heart being what it is, we get an inch, we want to take a mile. And then we start changing. We start trying to knock down pillars inside the church and the whole house comes crumbling down. The saints never did that. The saints came in and they just radically lived what was already there. And their example was so shining that God literally used these individual lives to change the entire church, Mm -hmm. which is so mysterious how this happens, but it's the work of God. So to your other point, um, parents. Parents need to be the first formators in their households. If they don't know lickety-split about what the church is teaching and why, then it behooves them to learn And even if their kids are asking them questions that they don't know, don't make crap up. I mean, just be like, hey, I don't know, kiddo. That's a great question. But you know what? Let me consult our priest. Let me go on this website, this Catholic website. Let me, let's, let's look into this together. Because here's why. Every sensibly minded Catholic will at some point struggle with what the church teaches. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. That's normal. Why? Because we're human. We're not God. And his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so we need to adjust to him. But whenever I've struggled with church teaching on any matter, when I've looked into the why behind the what, I've always been pleasantly surprised. Why? Because when I learn why the church in her wisdom for thousands of years has been affirming this this teaching, no matter what the culture was saying or doing, I'm like, oh my gosh. Not only is God not just saying no to something, he's saying, I have an alternative yes that's way better. You know, because most people, human nature, they just hear the no. Oh, you're just like my mom. You're like my dad. No, 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 no. Very human, right? But when they receive the truth and the love and the wisdom of, okay, yes, no to this, but here's the alternative that really will satisfy you. That's it. There's something higher and better. Higher than better. Yeah, another word of caution for, for parents of young children is research the school they want to go to, right? Sadly, there are many Catholic schools even, universities, that are not Catholic. They're just Catholic in name. Mm-hmm. I, will, I could list many of them. I won't do that right now. Research what 
This school, what is their mission statement? Do they have a campus ministry? Are they affirming the teaching of the church? Or are they making their own version of it? That's, that's number one. What kind of professors do they have on campus? What kind of classes do they have? Are there classes that are huge red flags? Because if they're on campus teaching that stuff and they're allowing it at Catholic campus, I can assure you, there's rot. Mm-hmm. Don't send them there. Don't waste your money. Because what you're going to pay for is for your kid to lose their faith, right. which is insult to injury. Now, if they're going to a public school, the same matter. At least find out, do they have some sort of campus ministry? Because I, I forget the exact statistic, but the reality is, if kids don't get plugged in, if students don't get plugged into a ministry of some sort or a community, they're going to lose their faith mm-hmm. within the first two weeks. So... A lot of this is on the parents to obviously create a culture at home, a Catholic culture, where it's not just because I have to, or this is what we do, or this is, we just have to, you know, that's not helpful for an inquisitive mind, Mm -hmm. right? It was like, why mom? Why dad? Why do we have to do this? Why do we believe this? And once again, to the point of parents don't have to know everything. They don't have to know how to explain everything like a theologian or evangelist. But what they need to do is... Um, as the primary educators of faith to at least lead them to the truth, right? Because we're all learning. Right. And, um, and then beyond that, buckle up and pray. Mm-hmm. <laughs> buckle up and pray for your kiddo. And pray as a couple. And, you know, 100%. And pray for good peers, too. I find that that's... 100%. Yeah, St. Monica, right? right? We exactly. all know the story, right? Right. Augustine, Playboy... Um, brilliant mind, but stupid decisions. I mean, he goes off to modern-day Las Vegas, Rome, you know. (laughs) He uh, joins a cult, gets his girlfriend pregnant, you know. He's doing all sorts of dumb. And his poor mom, Monica, she's devout. She's like, he's he's going headlong into hell, you know, but she's praying. And she perseveres. She perseveres. For 30 years, she perseveres. Mm -hmm. Right? There's a lot of prayers stored up. And so at at the moment when Augustine finally opened the door, there was a laser-guided nuclear weapon that was unleashed from heaven onto his head and becomes a convert to Catholicism, a priest, a bishop, one of the greatest theologians and saints of all time. Right. Well, there's hope for all of us then. If you can there's go hope. from... As long as your mom right. is praying, there's, there's hope. There you go. There you go. Well, Paul yeah. J. Kim, it's been such a pleasure speaking with you. Yeah, and um, good luck with, with your work and your ministry. And good luck with those five kids in the minivan. I need, I need the prayers. And listen, if, if people want to stay in touch and, and find out more about my ministry, and uh, I, I speak all year long, God sends me on the road to share my faith, which I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for. Um, and so if they want to find out more, they can check out my website at pjkmusic.com. And I'm on social media. Just type in Paul J. Kim. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening. To make it easier for you to listen to future Edify podcast episodes, please make sure you subscribe over at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Thank you.